Just Fantasy Baseball. We're back. I'm your host, Colby Olson. As always, not joined by Clay today. We got a couple uh, new guys. Well, Dan has been on the show. Dan Preciado's on the show today. Sport analytics extraordinaire going to Syracuse University right now, but a fantasy baseball beast. And then we're joined by Kev Masarejan, who uh, has the Operating Room podcast, another fantasy baseball, fantasy football podcast. Dude, you kill it over at fantasy football. Like last year, I basically went off your advice for fantasy football, and I was so, so good last year. So, all the credit to you. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Uh, I mean, thanks, but I wish my advice would have helped me as well. I overinvested in the damn Cardinals and they screwed me. So, you must have taken uh, someone else's advice because I was, I was trash last year. Yeah, well, maybe I just stayed away from Kyler Murray and any short quarterbacks, but we respect our short kings out there. Um, So today we're just going to be talking about, you know, recent trends and hot starts, cold starts. What are we buying? What are we selling? What are we interested in right now? Just like all the hot topics. Um, So I think a good place to start is the hottest guys in the league right now. Matt Chapman and Brian Reynolds are the only players right now in baseball with an expected WOBA of over 500, which is insane. Brian Reynolds was due for a bounce back. Matt Chapman, I guess, is finally healthy. How are you guys handling? Do you guys own any shares of these guys? Matt Chapman's like my most rostered third baseman across like all of fantasy. So shout out Matt Chapman for carrying my teams because my pitching is terrible my uh outfield and my outfields are okay but like for the most part it's my pitching that's tanking me and chapman and ryan mountcastle shout out ryan mountcastle mountcastle week is happening right now and it's so hot but yeah no no, chapman i uh i got very into because um i mean his profile in oakland was fantastic he was just kind of stymied by uh, oakland coliseum being arguably the worst hitters park in all of baseball moves to toronto Last year has a good year, but not a great year. Ex-Woba was better than his Woba. But this year, they moved the walls in in Toronto. Second year with the team. Uh, they're getting better. They're, the young guys are improving. And I don't know. Uh, I think he was priced really well outside the top 100. Um, I know I hyped up Alec Bohm a lot over the offseason. But the reason I don't have more Alec Bohm is because of Matt Chapman. So I love you, Matt Chapman. I want you to hear this and know this. Yeah, I have Matt Chapman in like 90% of the leagues that I'm in. Um, He was one of the guys that I was all in for, especially when they brought in the fences. And I am so pleased to see what's going on because that lineup's great, man. And like, you can, you can expect at least accounting stats, but the fact that he's actually just mashing the baseball only adds to the appeal. Like, I'm so happy that I have as much of him as I do. Yeah. So I own zero shares of Matt Chapman. Which maybe because I do own more shares of Alec Bohm. I own share. I have keeper leagues where I own Manny Machado and Rafael Devers. And like, I just didn't need a Matt Chapman. Um, and I guess my concern with Matt Chapman has always been like, okay, you're getting a ton of power. You're getting good run and RBI production. 
but no steals and you're getting a really bad average to go along with that, right? And sometimes that's fine, but he's striking out so far this season in 12 games, 52 plate appearances, obviously a small sample size, 19% of the time, which would be a, a career low. Back in 2019, he had a 22% K rate, hit 249, which is the highest average he's had in a long time. Um, so there, I feel like there's reason to believe that with this new approach that Matt Chapman has, like the average could be pretty decent. So I being almost an unbiased observer in the, among this group here, because you guys own Matt Chapman everywhere. I'm holding, I'm not going to sell high here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hold the thing with Matt enjoy. Chapman, it, Oh, sorry. Uh, the thing with Matt Chapman is he had sh uh, shoulder surgery two or three years ago. And that really affected, I don't know if it was his bat speed or what, but his whiff rate just tanked after I believe 2020. So Matt Chapman kind of not transformed, but he, he like degraded to a certain degree for those year for that year or two after surgery. And even the year where he needed surgery, I believe this was 2019, 2020. I'm not too sure which year it was, but uh, yeah, now, now he seems fully healthy. He's had an ISO above, 300 before his ISOs once again like very high so if you can reach these borderline elite well, we could say elite 300 ISO is pretty much as good as you can get for the most part that's like Aaron Judge level ISO numbers um yeah that that's the kind of stuff I'd look at he had that in 2020 in a small sample of 152 plate appearances a uh, small short season I mean, or whatnot, 2019 but... he had two thirty a 257 ISO too I mean he has yeah. 40 home run power especially if the ball is a little bit juiced which we're seeing a little bit too and and a new ballpark where it's shorter fences so yeah I'm buying um let's switch topics though because I didn't we didn't really talk about Brian Reynolds but I think Brian Reynolds mm -hmm. is the same story like this was a perfect you know buy low candidate coming into the season and now he's back to kind of his mvp self that we saw in 2021 um maybe even better uh i mean I, i'll throw this over to dan real quick but reynolds was priced top 100 so it's not like you were buying low like he was kind of priced similarly in most leagues where you're still kind of paying for it and he doesn't really steal much either so it I mean, Chapman or Reynolds, if you're talking about who was the better value, I'd say Chapman was yeah. the better value. But, you know, they're both really good hitters. Uh, I'd still take Chapman long term. Yeah, when it comes to Brian Reynolds, I actually don't think I own him in any leagues. And I kind I of don't agree either, with Ev that I think he was priced at about like in a place where it's it was going to be really hard to return any kind of like, uh, you know, value, positive value on, on uh, your investment. He's a great hitter. There's nothing really to complain about. I think you know what you're going to get from him. It's just, yeah, I, I didn't get any of him personally. Um, he's not a guy that I was necessarily targeting because I, don't, I see limited upside. He already has two steals in 12 games, so that that's something to monitor. Um, all right, let's switch topics to a guy that's off to a slow start and a player that I have a lot of places, Masataka Yoshida. Um through 10 games, hitting 216 with a 356 on base percentage and a 324 slugging percentage. Um, he's hit one home run. He's stolen two bases. He's striking out just 6.7% of the time with a 15% walk rate. Um, the problem with Yoshida so far is that his average launch angle, negative 7.9 degrees, and he has a 70% ground ball rate, which is concerning but I'll throw it over to you guys first and just give me your thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a ton of Masataki Yoshida. Like anybody who asked me for any kind of fantasy advice, I told them, yeah, you know, you need to go after Yoshida. And I'm not concerned yet. I actually think he's showing a little bit more speed, which will help buffer any kind of, you know, average downturn or like lack of power. I, I understand the launch angle concerns and stuff like that, but it's still a relatively small sample size. He's also not putting the ball in play at like a super high rate because he's getting on base via walk a lot. Um, so I think it's just small sample size noise and I'm willing to give him like at least another month because we know he's actually a very good peer contact bat. Um, maybe we're, you know, reaching if we think he's going to hit 20 home runs this season, but I, I think he can, can still contribute in other departments and hit for a high average at the end of the year. I was, I have zero Yoshida anywhere and it's not because he's not talented. I think he's very talented. His bat to ball skills are fantastic. However, yeah, as we've seen, he has like three ground balls to every fly ball. Uh, launch angle obviously has a lot to do with that, but even the contact he's making in general, I mean, his x was lower than his Woba, so it's not like he's getting unlucky or anything right now. The thing with Yoshida, though, I don't like players coming overseas in their first year because there's a big transition to make. We've seen it with like Yoshi Tsutsugo. I mean, Daisuke Matsusaka. I know Colby, you're a Boston Red Sox fan. Obviously, this is maybe a redux of a struggling first year. And then the second year could be that year where they really, you know, show out. I don't like investing those first. And then sometimes they just don't even pan out. But I think Yoshida will pan out. These bad, but like, it's not like he's striking out like crazy. It's not like he doesn't have power. It's just the transition. Sometimes it's culture shock. Sometimes there's a lot that comes into it where the player just isn't fantasy viable that first year or even like a good player in general. But they have the tools. They have the skills. Yoshida, much like Seiya Suzuki, who was better last year. Seiya Suzuki, I think, broke, not broke out, but like broke into the league, had a hot start and then got cold. And that might have been due to injury. But I invested in a ton of Seiya Suzuki this year, knowing he's in his second year. And, you know, he showed enough to buy into. And I think Yoshida is showing enough to buy into next year. But I'm as far as for now, I'm glad I didn't invest. And I don't think I would pay to. I mean, I would buy because considering his price is kind of very low right now. But uh, yeah, he's not someone I really went into. Yeah, I I agree with everything you guys said. I think he actually is a buy right now um, because he's not striking out. Like say a Suzuki last year. All those guys you mentioned, Yoshi Tsutsugo, they were all striking out like 30, 35% of the time. And that's why they weren't succeeding. Like it's it's good to see that um, Yoshida has such a good approach and he's not striking out. Um, the reason he's getting beat is up in the zone. Like I, I'm obviously a Red Sox fan. I'm watching a lot of these games. Like he is putting every fastball up in the zone into the ground. Um, so I think he's just an adjustment away, which is good but he's making contact. So I think he's a, he's a buy low, especially with the run production that he can put up hitting at the, you know, third, fourth in that Red Sox lineup. Um, guys, Dodgers fans, both of you, right? Oh yeah. Yes. James <laughs> Outman is an absolute freak show. An absolute freak show. What are your thoughts so far through 13 games of James Outman? Like is the hype crazy or are we buying? I mean, Dan was trying to, that's a guy that Dan was trying to sell me on all off season. And I will not concede yet, but I may have to take an L on Altman soon. But for now, I'm still going to be cautiously optimistic. He has the 30% strikeout rate and whatnot. And that could spike. You know, he's only had 48 plate appearances. First real year. I don't know. He, uh, Dan, what, what are your thoughts? I, I don't want you to give me too big of an L yet. 
Yeah, I you know what I think with the strikeout concerns, like you kind of have to temper expectations a tad. Um, but he's obviously got freakish raw tools to the point where it's going to translate to fantasy, and it already kind of is. I don't think you can really expect him to hit like over 250. I just don't see that in his profile. But he kind of reminds me a little bit of Joey Gallo with his approach where he actually knows the the strike zone pretty well, but he just swings through a lot of pitches. Um, There, you know, there was a crazy stat where it was somebody posted it. And I forget who it was on Twitter that every out he had made in his career through like 30 or 35 plate appearances was via strikeout. He never put a ball in play that was not, a, a base hit like he never flew out he never grounded out it was insane i'd never seen anything like it but uh i i totally believe in him i think you get a pass like pick 400 in most places and he's doing this it's just you know i i really like what i see out of him i think i think he's gonna have a huge year yeah i gave him out as a waiver wire guy because he was owned like 45 percent, 50 percent of leagues um about two weeks ago and i was like grab him now because this guy just has raw tools I think he's actually a lot different than Joey Gallo in that Joey Gallo has never been able to maintain a high BABIP where James Altman for his entire career has been able to maintain. Yes, he strikes out, you know, 25, 30 percent of the time. But I think he's one of those rare cases where even though he strikes out that much, the the contact he's putting into play, even when if it's not a home run can be gone is going for hits right so he can maintain an average of like 270 i think um with this power speed profile it's ridiculous so yeah i'm not selling james outman i'm even buying more if somebody is trying to sell high like high i don't mind buying yeah i mean if you want a comp if you want like the ceiling comp it's tyler o'neill Ooh, interesting very interesting i think outman has a higher ceiling than tyler o'neill does all right, I have a I have a whack one here to bring up. We're changing big time here. Let's talk about Glaber Torres because five steals in twelve games. What, what what is this? Is that real? Is this real life? Like I know he stole ten last year. He stole fourteen in twenty twenty one. Like is he genuinely a thirty plus steal guy? No, no. Twenty maybe. <laughs> What is going on here? I I mean, he stole in the minors a ton, at least early on, like 2015, 2016, but that was so long ago. I guess it's just the new base running rules and the bases and whatnot that's giving him a little extra edge. But yeah, I don't expect this to continue. I think he's already, he's like he's missing time. He has like a hip issue that he's been playing through right now. So yeah, I, I, I'm not going to, what is it, uh, prorate him to 400 steals or whatever he's on pace for, but can he hit 20? Yeah, sure. Can he hit 25, 30 home runs? Sure. And I'm probably not going to buy next year if he's going to be priced as a 30, 20 guy, but for now, Hey, ride the wave. He he looks really good. As long as he stays healthy, the offense is obviously very good for the Yankees. Like enjoy the shares you got, but it it, obviously this pace is not going to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Like as a guy who doesn't have any Glaber Torres at all, like, I, I think he could put up what Ozzy Albies was for like a couple of years, like 30, yeah. 15 this season. I think that's pretty much what he's on pace for, which is super valuable. Um, I just, I, I'm not the biggest Glaber Torres guy. Um, the stolen bases are nice, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent buying into the speed yet. Guys, are we going to, let's talk about Jared Kalanick because Jared Kalanick coming into this year was one of my mm-hmm. biggest, like, sleeper outfielders. It was like, there's no way that he can be worse than last year. 
take a chance, former top prospect, raked in AAA last year, was hitting the ball hard last year, but his approach was poor. And now he's obviously mashing, right? 61% hard hit rate. He just hit a ball 482 feet. I know the wind was blowing out at Wrigley, but still that's just insane. Um, But I don't know if I'm buying this. Like, I think that if you get an offer for for Galenic, obviously he's going insane, but like, I don't even know if I can really buy in because he cannot hit a breaking ball. All of his power comes off fastballs. Off of breaking balls this year, he's hitting a whopping 167 with a 167 slugging percentage. Like, I know that's a small sample, but you go back to last year and he hit 057 off of breaking pitches. So I think that now could actually be the perfect time to sell Jerry Kalanick, like get in, get out. Um, What do you think about that? I would not sell in redraft because you're probably not going to get proper value and relative to his ceiling outcome or even like, 60 to 70 percent outcome if this is him hitting right now yeah no chance i'm selling the chance of a quote-unquote league winner much like glaber where you ride the wave this year but you kind of get off for next year you let someone else buy in pay the cost pay the full freight but in dynasty yeah i think selling right now for prospects picks uh a struggling vet blah 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 plus more absolutely i think that's the right move because in dynasty his age and whatnot I don't want to overinvest in Kalanick based on this hot start. But yeah, redraft you hold, you ride the wave, dynasty if you can sell yourself because you're not going to get more than uh, a player drafted between like pick 150 and 200 like or, or like an injured guy. What are you going to get? Like you're not going to get Brandon Woodruff for Jared Kalanick probably. Like Freddie Peralta maybe and even then it's like eh, he has like a sub 1 ERA. That's not going to last. So I'm I'm probably just going to hold Jared Kelnick. We talked about Kelnick at the end of the last appearance I made on the Just Baseball or uh, Just Fantasy podcast, Colby, and you were all over it, and you ended up selling me at the end. And I like what I see. I like what I see so far. The breaking balls are a concern, but we know he when he actually impacts the baseball, he does it extremely well. Um, he's looking like a different hitter. I just he needs a little bit more time. You know, we've we've seen way too much of him being well below league average, one of the worst hitters in baseball through his career. Like he needs a little bit more time before I give him the vote of confidence. Yeah. Were I mean, you guys... whiffs, the chases, I'm sorry, just to go back into the strikeouts real quick. I mean, he's above average in whiff and chase rate. So it's not like he's struggling, struggling at the plate. Mm-hmm. He's getting lucky on, on some hard hit balls. Cause he's had home runs in the past. Like, I mean, the lower ish K rate of like 26%. I think it could, I can, it could hover between like 25 to 30 for the rest of the year. Yeah. Guys, is there anybody that you wish that you like that you didn't draft that you wish you did right now? Where do like, I start? Is there one player that you're like, God, why didn't I get another share of him? Or like hmm. I'm gonna That's let Dan go question. first because uh I have like multiple. I want to give you the one good one. <laughs> I'm thinking. No, I, I can't I can't think off the top of my head. That's a really good question, Colby. I guess it's, it's a tough one really to like make decisions so far because yeah who is it for me i think it is it's graham ashcraft and like i like coming into the year i was like you know yeah i i gotta get him as a late sleeper and then for whatever reason the guy was just taking other guys that weren't graham ashcraft 
And then here I am like, oh, crap, I totally missed the boat on him because I was just like, you know what? He'll probably come out of the gate and I can just pick him up off the waivers. Completely missed on Graham Ashcraft. Now he looks like a completely different pitcher. Stuff is way up. He actually has the fourth highest stuff plus in baseball. Um, I gave him out as a waiver wire pickup, you know, a couple weeks ago, but he was already owned in like 50% of leagues. Like it was people were just on him. Um, I think this is real. Like he really does look damn good. Every, everything is up. Stuff is up across the board on every pitch and everything moves in different directions and it's hard and fast. Um, so that's probably the one that I'm most disappointed about. Yeah. Okay. I got I mine everywhere. I, I, I don't love Graham Ashcraft just mostly because of the park, the great, great American ballpark is hell. I th- and he had a shoulder issue that was like lingering last year and that could pop back up. He throws like very hard. He throws like 98, 99, um, I'm not a big Graham Ashcraft guy. His XFIP Sierra and whatnot do not match. His swinging strike rate isn't too high, at least to match the K upside with the VLO and whatnot. So I'm not super high on Graham Ashcraft, but he's good. I think at the cost he was going in the offseason in uh, drafting holds where he was going like very cheap, that's where people should have drafted him. But now I wouldn't pay full freight. Um, for me, it's Jeffrey Springs. And I... I thought he was just a convert. I, I don't know why I didn't do a deeper dive into Jeffrey Springs just because he kind of came out of nowhere last year, but he was a good prospect, I believe, for the Rangers years ago. Uh, he dealt with some injuries over the course of, I think, like the early 2020s and whatnot. But what I missed was that he's a starter converted to reliever, converted back to starter. I thought he was just a reliever converted to starter, and those I don't believe in long term typically. But Springs is a guy who's healthy now after being unhealthy. Those are the guys I love investing in because they're typically so cheap and they have the upside of once having prospect pedigree. Uh, I wasn't too deep into fantasy baseball like seven, eight years ago. So I wasn't really following Jeffrey Springs. And yeah, no, he he seems very real. Tampa knows what they're doing with these guys. And uh, whoever's squeezing all that juice out of him this year, getting him out near pick 100, 200. Sorry. He jumped up to almost pick 100 in late drafts. I mean, you guys killed it. Yeah. Colby, to answer your question, I think Jeffrey Springs is actually my answer because I've always believed in Jeffrey Springs and I got none of Jeffrey Springs. But uh, to touch on Ashcraft a, a little bit, I have him everywhere. Um, I've always been a fan of his profile. I think he's an excellent pitcher. It's just... The ballpark, as Kev mentioned, and his swinging strike rate is kind of concerning. He doesn't get the whiffs totally. Yeah, he. It's almost like I'll compare him to a Dodger, like the the Arsenal's Dustin different, May. But Dustin May, absolutely. Yeah. Where the stuff is just wicked. It's visually appealing, but it doesn't really generate enough whiffs to like compete strikeout wise in fantasy baseball. I don't see him like being a lot to finish with nine Ks per nine. I really don't like over a strikeout per inning. I don't think he's a lot to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Springs is actually a guy I own everywhere, which I'm happy about. Like that was one guy I was like, oh, I'm grab I'm just gonna grab him because yeah, just the stuff is crazy. Um, I mean Rasmussen's another guy that I grabbed a lot of places as well because the stuff's crazy. Like a reliever turned to a starter, but had the pedigree of being a starter before that. Um, and the stuff is just nuts. What's crazy is that the difference between Shane McClanahan, Rasmussen, and Springs right now is like how big? It's not crazy, which is insane. Um, Jeffrey Springs was a Red Sox, yeah. by the way. And he was oh, traded he was for not a Ranger. Ranald. Excuse me. He was a Ranger at some point, I believe. Oh, okay. 
So I'm yeah, not mistaken. He was. I remember him with the Rangers. I to the Red Sox. Performed well in 20 innings. Struck out 12 per nine. Walked just three per nine. And then Bloom shipped him off for Ronaldo Hernandez, a catcher that hasn't even, he's in AAA, just <laughs> rotting away. I'm like, oh, that's got it. That's just a, that's just a bonehead trade. But those are good answers, guys. Really good answers there. Um, Hodai Senga is a guy that I drafted everywhere. Literally every team that I was on, he would just fall in my lap. I'm like, the upside here is crazy. Um, I don't really have a take on Senga yet. Like he's looked good, but he's pitched against the Marlins twice. I don't really have a take yet. What I find interesting about Senga, and I've never seen this before, is he throws a forkball, which I actually had to do some research on. Like, what is an what is a forkball? Because is that a splitter? Like, I, I thought it was advertised that Senga throws a splitter. So apparently, a forkball is a type of a splitter, but you use your wrist more to like snap it, and the spin rate on that fork ball is 1047. So it's like almost like a knuckleball, like it just tumbles. So very interesting. That pitch right now, um, obviously super small sample size has a 60% whiff rate and nobody can touch it. So very intrigued by that. The fastballs looked good. The sweeper has been obliterated, but we'll see with bigger sample and actually him facing like a real offense. That's not the Marlins, but so far so good on, on Senga. Have you guys watched any of them? Yeah, Senga's uh, sick. I know I sold to Kev on Senga. <laughs> yeah, we got him in our best ball league. That best ball was yeah. the only place I was comfortable because, like, I don't get the bad starts and I get only the good starts. And I mean, the Mets, the Mets know what they're doing with pitching. The home park's really good. So, what, Dan, what else were you gonna say? I was gonna say, Colby. So when you're talking about the fork ball, there were, there was a Red Sox stud reliever that his bread and butter pitch was a fork ball. That was Hideki Okajima, and they remind me. It, that pitch that Senga has reminds me so much of Okajima that I, the forkball is such a sick pitch if you can command it. And it seems like Senga can because it just drops off the table. And the spin rate you bring up, it's like in between a changeup and a knuckleball. It really is like that combination of, of like a spin rate. It's somewhere in the average. I, I think he's sick though, man. His stuff is so good. I'd like to see him against a real lineup, but he's so good. I'm very happy I have as much of him as I do. Hideki yeah, Okajima I, is quite a name, Dad. Sorry, get to cut you no, off. No, no, no. Go like, on. No, no, no. I love Hideki I love this Okajima. Yeah. The only thing I I don't even think about the forkball in my head. All I think of when I think of Hideki Okajima is being like 10, 11 years old, and the fighting necklaces were so big during that time. <laughs> and Hideki Okajima was like the king of the fighting necklace. Like he always had one or two wrapped around him, and like. That's what comes to my head as soon as you said that. So what a throwback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, not to throw too much cold water on Senga because the strikeouts are amazing, but he has walked three in each of the past two yeah. starts. Uh, so that could be an issue. His Sierra is like kind of like bordering on four right now, which is fine. It's good. It's not great. And that's again against the Marlins. But hey, maybe for him, it's the more he pitches, the more comfortable he gets. Um, I'm not sure it, how much of a difference it is for pitchers versus hitters coming overseas we've seen some guys like shintaro fuji uh sorry i don't mean to be butchering his shintaro name fujinami he, yeah. fujinami uh for the ace he's struggling uh you darvish came he was dominant and i think Senga's closer to darvish yeah uh, didn't darvish throw a fork ball i'm not i i know he had a vast like array of pitches <laughs> yeah so he might have thrown a fork ball if we're talking about fork balls but um yeah no i i want to say I don't regret passing on Senga everywhere, but I wish I had a little more just because he's fun. I took him in best ball leagues. I was happy with him at his cost, but overall 
you know, anything can happen with guys like this. Uh, you don't know how they're going to react to struggling and then having to bounce back. New York's a tough place to play. So we'll see what happens with him. Two starts against the Marlins is not going to change my mind much on Senga. Fair enough. All right. I I do not own any Alec Manoa. But Same. for any listeners out there that do, what is the deal with Alec Manoa? How should they handle this? Because he struggled mightily thus far. He has a 4.91 ERA, a 7.94 expected ERA. That's across three starts. Um, mm-hmm. He's getting hit hard this year, too. And this is a guy that has you know been able to limit hard contact, um, but he has a 45.7% hard hit rate against this year. Um is it hold for Alec Manoa? Like what, what do you do? If he has one more bad start, I'd say dropping him is fine. And that sounds crazy. Drop one more. I mean, his velos down. He's an extreme fly ball pitcher and Toronto moved their walls in. He was one of the pull heaviest pitchers in baseball last year at a 46% rate. Um, this is the new rules basically screwed him. He was always kind of a Fugazi his ex-FIP and Sierra did not represent his ERA whatsoever, so he was getting very lucky with good defense and just luck in general. Um, yeah, his left-on-base percentage last year and this year, his left-on-base percentage is 82.6%, so he can, he can honestly be worse if that regresses. His BABIP, it's at 250. Like He's still getting kind of lucky right now. Uh, the walks and strikeouts are basically equal. Alec Manoa Alec just stinks right now. And yeah. it's kind of better to get off the boat. If you can sell for like a, a back-end bench guy, I would do that after one more start. And the next start, I'd probably just leave him on my bench too. The the uh, What's it called? The Blue Jays have tough matchups coming up in the Astros, the Yankees. And then beyond that, their schedule gets a little easier. So I wouldn't blame someone for holding, but I'd probably just bench him and hope for the best. And if, I mean, you need to win now, typically in, in Roto Leagues too, like, Guys like this on your bench are not helping you at all. I would get it in head-to-head where the matchup doesn't carry over to the next if you want to hold, but overall, Manoa is rough right now. Yeah, I have no Manoa shares because I kind of saw this coming, and you said exactly what I would have said, Kev, in that I think he's a drop almost now. I think you can maybe wait a start or two, and then you can really cut bait with him because I think that this is closer to him. You mentioned his strand rate and his BABIP. Like, he is getting lucky right now. He's he just doesn't look like what you expected to see last year. Um, yeah, I'm I'm off the boat, or I already was, and now I'm even more so. So I think dropping him in the short term is it actually makes some sense. I don't know about dropping. I might wait like another three starts because um, I just I I agree with benching him. I'd rather just bench him and, and see what happens. Um, but it is concerning that his fastball velocity is down over a mile an hour. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this yeah. was a guy that I was not drafting for a reason. I don't think any of us were. But, yeah, if you're an owner, yeah, it's time to be very concerned about Alec Manoa. And I would probably start shopping and at least try to get something. At least try to get here, something. Here are his next three starts. Home versus Tampa Bay, the best team versus right-handed pitching in baseball at Yankee Stadium. And then home versus the Mariners at Fenway to place the Red Sox and then either Pittsburgh, which, okay, fine. The first decent start or at Philadelphia and citizens bank, then the Yankees again, then either the Orioles or race. Like it doesn't, it doesn't get better. Yeah. It's literally like two out of 10 are good, good options. So yeah, start shopping, 
just start shopping for somebody that you would immediately take for him, like the, over a guy on the waivers. I, that's what I would do right now. Um, last name, and then we'll wrap this up, is Christian Javier, and there's no bigger Christian Javier fan than me. Um, but I wasn't all over him this year just because of his draft price was pretty insanely high. And I was like, I don't know, like a reliever maxed out on innings last year, 148 innings. And now his fastball velocity is down um, over a, a mile per hour. He's not striking out as many guys, but the command's been there, whatever. Um, what's your take on Christian Javier? Like, obviously this is not a guy I'm going to be dropping, but like, what is the, what does this look like moving forward in your, in your opinion? I'm a little bit optimistic because the velocity, yes, it's down, but that like velocity can come back. That's not the end of the world. Uh, strikeout to walk ratio, decent. Like he's not really walking guys, which is an imp- a huge improvement considering he was like borderline 10% throughout his career. Strikeouts aren't there either, but I think that can kind of carry over and build on that as the season goes on, as velocity builds. Uh, my big concern with Javier was how the Astros always move him around between the bullpen and rotation. I just hate that with guys. It uh, looks like he's sticking this year, which is a positive. Um, I mean, he's bad, but he's not like bad, bad. He's at a 4-2-4 ERA, which is like uh, might be above average considering where the league is right now. Uh, his like his Sierra XFIP kind of reflect that. Um, he's he's a fly ball pitcher as well, but Astros, I mean, uh, you know, the Astros play in a pitcher friendly park. Defense is good there. Uh, Altuve should be back soon. He's kind of getting unlucky with Babip and left on base relative to career, but Babip that could be because of the new rules. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so yeah. early. I would hold slash buy on Javier, uh, but I wouldn't buy it like a premium. I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd buy it low for sure. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of Javier personally because I liked his profile. Uh, but Kev once again said something that I was going to say about Javier is that he's been shuttled between the rotation and the bullpen so frequently. And a lot of times you'll see velo drops on guys like that. Uh, eventually they come into their own, but I think it's a matter of fatigue a little bit and lack mm-hmm. of a consistent routine, but he's starting to get into that. It sounds like he is going to be in the rotation the entire year. I oh, don't yeah. see oh, yeah. he's... any other way, you know, that it goes, but um, no, I would definitely, definitely hold on to him, possibly buy low on him right now. Because he's not a big name, he's a good he's a good option for you to kind of take advantage of maybe a manager that doesn't understand his pure talent level because he's not a huge name. Um, yeah, I would be looking to buy low. I think buy low is, is the is the way to go, especially because he's a guy that has the fastball shape with a ton of ride on it. Um, that he can compete at 92, 93. He doesn't need to be at 90, 95, 96 um, to really compete with that fastball. So, yeah, I'm not concerned about it, and it's so early in the season. Um, so, yeah, I think buying low, especially after a poor start against the Pirates, is the way to go. Um, but, yeah, that'll do it, guys. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Any any final um, – give give your plugs for whatever. Any final last statements? Yeah, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rotosurgeon. That's where most of my work goes, just because stream of consciousness. I just throw out whatever whatever comes to mind on Twitter. Any any thoughts on players or whatever, but also make sure to like and subscribe, uh, whatever, like and subscribe to the operating room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. Uh, that's that I'll have more episodes coming out over the coming weeks. I've been traveling a lot recently, so haven't really posted much, but I got Colby coming on soon. So I'm excited to talk to you, Colby and get the uh, most recent episode out. 
week. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Colby. It's always a pleasure to talk to the two of you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan J. Preciado. Just talking baseball. Love it, boys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch you next time. Adios.